Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. I think we just had church. You can go to church or you can have church. I think we just had it. Are you ready for more? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, Jesus spoke many things to his disciples. And the word of God itself declares in John that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself would not be able to contain the books that it would take to do this. And I I thought about that for a while, and I was like, man, three years of ministry, but everything he did was so anointed and so powerful and so purposeful that you couldn't even write it all down. And he only spent three years really in ministry. 33 years on this earth. But wow, what a thing to say that the books couldn't, the world couldn't even contain the books that would have to hold all that. And we looked at a parable last week, the parable of the 10 virgins. And I, I described it as a parable challenging us to persevere and, a, and specifically to persevere in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit more than we've ever needed Him before, church. You absolutely need him. Your life is dependent upon him. And this week I want to look at another parable, and it's so short that admittedly many don't even consider it a parable. And maybe it's more of an analogy than a parable, but either way, Jesus spoke of something that was common and used every single day, and and then he brought out the spiritual truth from it. And so it's, it's like a mini parable. And it's a truth that I believe is relevant for us here today. Jesus talked about salt a number of times in the Gospels. And at the beginning of his ministry, during his first public sermon, actually, the Sermon on the Mount, he said this in Matthew 5.13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then later in his ministry, he talked about salt again, and he said virtually the same thing. Let's read it in Luke 14, 34 through 35. He said, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears... Let him hear. Ears to hear, let him hear. And as I meditated on this, I became more and more curious, and I was surprised by how valuable salt really is to this world as I got into studying it. There are literally thousands, tens of thousands of uses for salt. And I know that it's cheap because we have so much of it, but that doesn't make it any less valuable to us when it comes to everyday life. Sodium is one of the primary electrolytes in the body. Other important electrolytes, potassium, magnesium, and calcium are also available in unrefined salt, as are other vital minerals needed for optimal bodily function. The point is, is that salt in the right amount is absolutely essential for life. Salt's pretty important. And to the people that Jesus was talking to, salt was even more valuable. It, was, it wasn't as readily available to them as it is to us. And in fact, it was so valuable to them that it was sometimes actually used for money. 
Roman soldiers of Jesus' day were at times paid in salt. In fact, our, our word salary, how many get a salary? A few of you. It's good. It comes from the Latin word salarium, which refers to payments of salt made to soldiers. And we still use the phrase today that someone is either worth their salt or not, right? That's where all that comes from. And again, Saul has talked about a lot throughout scriptures. What's the significance of that? Was there a difference in salt back then? Did it have different uses? Was the salt from that region where Jesus ministered, was it different from what we put on our dinner dinner tables today? And I learned some things as I began to study this. One, One of the first things I ran into was the science community's opinion about Jesus's teaching that salt could lose its flavor. And, uh, you know, I'm always interested in what science has to say. It's kind of like, let's see what mama has to say on the subject. Um, But some of you got that, some of you didn't. Uh, That's okay. Uh, But what does the science community have to say about Jesus' words in salt? And uh, it's amazing how many times science will jump in and say, aha, gotcha. The Bible's not true. They've been doing it for years, by the way. The Bible's not true. Salt can't lose its saltiness, they say. It would have to go through a chemical change in order for that to happen. So the Bible isn't true. Jesus didn't tell the truth. It's all, it's all lies. They just love to discredit, don't they? And I went through their suppositions about salt. Pretty interesting and not necessarily wrong. Sodium chloride is actually one of the most stable compounds in the world. Chemically speaking, if you're going to jump in with the science uh, uh, culture, salt ceases being salt when it isn't salty anymore. You don't call it salt anymore when it ceases being salty. But does that make Jesus' teaching wrong? Okay, so maybe he should have clarified and said, for all the science people, salt is good, but if it goes through a chemical change and loses its taste, how shall another chemical reaction occur to have its saltiness be restored? I think Jesus was a little bit better teacher than that, and he got to the point. That's why the Bible is still the number one selling book of all time. And when you look year to year, year to year, uh, uh, you know, at the best sellers, they don't even include the Bible because it's so far way out in front that, that they, well, well, the Bible, let's not even include that. Let's look at the second place and third place. The fact of the matter is people still read the Bible, and not a whole lot of people read science journals. And maybe that makes them angry. But obviously, this kind of thinking is ridiculous. They try so hard to disprove truth and discredit anything that has to do with Scripture or Jesus. And the truth is, again, the Bible is true. And it sells a lot. So good luck suppressing God's Word. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. In the last 50 years, 4 billion Bibles have been sold. Billion. Nothing's even close to that. Another thing I learned about salt is that the region in which Jesus ministered, modern-day Palestine and Israel, it's an area where salt is not manufactured by boiling clean salt water. It is not quarried from salt mines either. It's obtained from marshes along the seashore, as in Cyprus, or or from salt lakes that are located in the interior of modern-day Syria. And these lakes often dry up in the summer, 
as the one in the desert north of Palmyra and the great lake of Jebul, southeast of the city of Aleppo in Syria. Aren't you uh, impressed by my geography? I looked all that up. It's an interesting region in the world, but that's how they get their salt there. Henry Mondrell, who was an academic reporter at Oxford University and later a minister with the Church of England, uh, visited the lake at Jebul in the late 1600s. And he states in his writings that he found salt there which had entirely lost its savor. And, and the same was true of salt that he experienced in other locations in which he visited in now what is modern-day Syria and Jordan. He said this, Indeed, it is a well-known fact that the salt of this country, when in contact with the ground or exposed to rain and sun, does become insipid and useless. So what was salt used for in the time of Jesus and what did this analogy, this mini parable, mean to those who first heard it, those who lived in the time of Jesus? And I'm so glad you asked the question because I'm going to answer it today. Number one, and you can write this down, salt flavors and its seasons. Salt flavors and its seasons. Did you catch that, those of you online? Salt flavors and its seasons. Flavor in food is pretty important. Those of us that have experienced losing our taste or having been around people who have lost their taste due to COVID-19, they know that it's a real issue. It's easy to get mentally rattled about it. There are some that have not gotten taste back for months or it's at least been diminished. It's no fun eating food if you can't taste it, right? I mean, I know Alyssa lost her taste for quite some time. She's starting to get it back and that's that's wonderful. We're thankful for that. There's some that have lost it for months, but I remember one time we were in Des Moines and I was like, let's go to Who Hot. How many like Who Hot? It's a little plug for Who Hot. Go there, support it. We don't want it to go away, right? Because Who Hot is just good food. Corbin, I know you were there the other night. Was it last night? Yeah, because you, you, you sent me pictures of his plate, which is a very evil thing to do, by the way. <laughs> but Who Hot is delicious. And you know they have those, uh, they have those uh, zucchini noodles now? Oh my Lord, those are good. It's like heaven. I love food, as you can see. I love it. I enjoy it. I savor every bite. I let it waller around in my mouth a little bit before I swallow it because I like it so much. Right? I like food. And I told Lisa, let's go to Hoo-Hot. This was some months back, and she said, I don't want to waste a trip to Hoo-Hot when I can't taste anything. And I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense for you, but it doesn't make any sense for me. <laughs> How many know we didn't go to Hoo-Hot that day? <laughs> Mama gets what she wants some of the time. <laughs> it's no fun eating good food if you can't taste it. And there, there is no doubt that flavor and seasoning it enhances our eating experience. Salt is at the top of that list of flavor enhancers. I mean, how many times have you heard in your lifetime, please pass the salt? Some of us do that too often, by the way. Got a little too much salt going in. And we enhance our foods. We flavor it with salt. And that's exactly what we should do as Christians. Just as salt enhances food, we should preserve or persevere, actually, in our saltiness to enhance people's lives. And it, it takes an effort, a perseverance, to stay salty. 
And we'll get to that. But enhancing the people's lives around us, so important. This involves changing the atmosphere wherever you go. When you walk into a room, what are you saying with your actions? Here I am. Everybody look at me. Or are you saying, there you are. You're important to me. It's the difference between everything being about you and everything being about everybody else. It's the difference between self-centeredness versus being others-focused. Do you leave people in situations better than you found them? Do, you, do, do people hide when they see you coming? Or do they get excited? Are they encouraged or discouraged by you and what you bring to the table, so to speak? The salt you bring to the table. You know, I, I, I thought about this a lot, and it's... it's, it's it's really interesting. There are people that just look for someone to minister to them all the time. Now, if you need to be ministered to, there's no shame in that. Be ministered to. Ask for, ask for someone to minister to. Say, hey, I'm hurting and I need a friend, right? But if you're always in that constant mode of having to be ministered to all the time, it's probably because you haven't spent enough time with, in, his, in Jesus' presence and let him take care of a few things. We ought to be people that think first, not about who can minister to me and who can help me through this, but we should think about what can I do for others? How can I be a blessing to them? How can I minister to others? No matter what we're going through. I mean, we go through stuff, right? All of us do. We have hardships. As pastors, it's our job to minister to people which I hope we, we do. But that doesn't mean we're without problems. You know what happens when you minister to others in the midst of your own problems? Your own problems don't seem as big. They just don't. And it's actually an act of faith because what you're saying is, I'm not gonna wallow in my own problems. I'm gonna help somebody else and my problems are gonna be taken care of by Jesus Christ. That's what really goes on. And I think you got to get that deep down in your spirit. And, and I'm not saying if you need ministry, please tell somebody. It's not selfish to go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm hurting. I need some help. You know what is selfish? Not telling anybody and walk around like, nobody helps me. Nobody cares about what I'm going through. Well, tell somebody. How are they supposed to know? Well, I got my lip hanging out. They should be able to tell. Right? That's what we have brothers and sisters for. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? That's a great thing to do. But don't stay there. Don't live there. Salt was so valuable for many reasons. Maybe Jesus was saying that we are supposed to be valuable to the world. As Christians, we need to live our lives in such a way that people couldn't imagine life without us. You know, when the rapture happens and all the Christians are taken out of the world, the atmosphere will change in the culture. Christians gone will leave a hole. How big a hole are we going to leave? Maybe, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe the bigger hole we leave now and at the time of the rapture, the more people will be drawn to Christ and get saved.
as individuals making everyone's life more enjoyable should be our focus. As a church, we should ask ourselves, what would the rest of the community say if we ceased to exist? Would we leave a hole in emptiness? Are we so valuable to our community that they would ache if we weren't here? You know, Christians that remain salty, they flavor the world. They bring value to the lives of those around them because they enhance lives. They flavor and season the lives of others. Number two, salt is a preservative. It's a preservative. That's what people thought when they first heard Jesus talk about it. It's still a preservative today. If you cut up apples or potatoes and leave them in the fridge overnight, they turn brown, don't they? But if you soak them in salt water, a nice salt water brine, they will stay white and fresh. Even raw meat can be kept out all night if you rub salt into it. Salt is a preservative and was the main one for thousands of years. We've only uh, had refrigeration and vacuum sealing and other modern preserving methods for about 100 years or so. Salt keeps things from decaying. And that is what we're supposed to do as Christians. We are in this world and we have the job of preserving the moral fiber of our society and not letting it decay. And I, I don't know if you have noticed lately, but the moral fiber of our society is sketchy at best. There's no moral fiber at all in some circles within our culture. And the lack of morality and values based off the Bible is, is, is probably the scariest thing that we're going through right now. Because a free society, and how many enjoy your freedom in this country? A free society is absolutely, hear me church, is absolutely dependent on morality. And specifically, morality sourced in the word of God. Without biblical morality, freedom is going to be lost. Take it to the bank, it's the truth. You cannot have morality or freedom without morality. You can't do it. And this country that was founded on godly principles and most of the people back then were godly people or at least had some kind of, of, of relationship with Jesus, some kind of uh, belief in God and followed him and feared him and lived their lives according to him, that's not the same as it is today. We don't have that, that, that kind of kind of fear and reverence for God as they did back then. And that's why we have congressmen and congresswomen who really don't have morals, or very few at best. When morality ceases to be in our government, and that's the cause of morality ceasing to be with the people, by the way. When that ceases, freedom's over. Freedom will be over. You just can't have one without the other. You can't have freedom without morality. And we have a hard job ahead of us, church, and it will require a steadfastness. You will be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed for your biblical moral stance. You will experience being cast out and considered judgmental and bigoted. You will be called a hater for agreeing with the Bible publicly, not to mention ostracized for standing firm in biblical morality. It's going to happen. We may see times ahead in which we are fined or shut down, or even put in jail for speaking things that are basic biblical truths. But like salt, we are to preserve the moral fiber of our culture. And by the way, you, 
You can't possess that preserving quality of salt if you engage in the very things that you say you're against. You can't hold up the Bible as your moral foundation when you live in a way that is contrary to the Word of God. Let me shake this down for you a little bit. Calling abortion murder while at the same time your own heart is full of hate and unforgiveness, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Saying homosexuality is sin and an abomination before God while at the same time you're addicted to your own sexual sins, that's hypocritical. Saying that all liars, even if they're politicians, will have their place in the lake of fire because that's what Scripture says. All liars will have their place in the lake of fire. While at the same time, you cheat and manipulate to get people to act in a way that benefits you. It doesn't work. The church has done that too long, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying. They've lost their saltiness. We're supposed to preserve, not see what we can get away with and still be called Christians. You can't call out immorality if you're living in hidden sin yourself. We're called to preserve and persevere in that preservation aspect of our faith. Salt has healing properties, number three. Salt was and still is used as an antiseptic. Antiseptics are used to kill or prevent the growth of microorganisms such as bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Salt has also been used to draw infection out of wounds and sores for centuries. Church, when we remain salty, we will literally pull the infection of sin out of people we are around. I, I, I want to say that again because I believe God really gave me this. When we remain salty, we will literally, spiritually salty, we will literally pull the infection of sin out of people we are around. And this generally happens, because I ask God, what does that mean? How does that happen? And he said, generally, that happens through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe in counseling, and I believe in medication when needed, and I believe in going to the doctor and getting things checked out. I believe in all that. I think that's all wise and, and, and good things to do good practices, but I also believe as a Pentecostal preacher and a person that's full of the Holy Spirit and has been used in gifts but wants to be used a whole lot more, I believe that one anointed word of knowledge or one anointed word of wisdom or one prophetic utterance can move mountains in people's lives. I believe the Holy Spirit working through someone in the gift of healing or the working of miracles can do more in one second than all of man's best efforts. I believe that. And let's take this another step further. When you soak in Epsom salt, how many have ever done that? Epsom salt? It softens the skin, right? And if you have a wound, softening the area helps topical medication get to where it needs to be. In this sense, being salty carries with it the idea of being soft and gentle to those that need healing. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit allow you to minister to people in a soft and gentle way, the way they may need to be ministered to in that moment. However, when an open wound is infected and it's oozing and that's gross, putting salt in the wound can be very painful and harsh. 
but it's needed in order for the infection to be drawn out. Salt in the wound can sting, but ultimately it is beneficial for the healing process. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit allow us to know when to be gentle and when to be aggressive in our saltiness because it takes both. There's a time to be gentle with people, and if you're flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, if you're in the store, and if you're at a family event, if you're at work, if you're at school, if you're, whatever you're doing in the moment, if, if the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit just rises up within you and gives you that check that you need to do something, you need to say something, I'm giving you a word for that person right now. You know what? If you're flowing in the Holy Spirit, you're gonna say the right thing at the right time. It'll be gentle, or it may sting a little bit. I know we have personalities and maybe God uses me to be a little more stinging than gentle, but he uses other people to be more gentle than stinging, and I don't think either are wrong. What an amazing substance that salt can soften and it can also sting and be aggressive in a wound. And how awesome is God to give us the tools like the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can operate according to his will in any given situation. That's amazing to me. Church, be salty and persevere in letting God heal people through your saltiness. You're supposed to be salty. You're supposed to bring healing. Number four, salt creates thirst. Dying of thirst is, is a, what a horrible way to die. Salt makes you thirsty. Why do you think movie theaters want you to eat popcorn? They make a lot of money in the pop you drink after you eat their salty popcorn. You want some salt? You, know, you want more, right? You know, and they just put it on. Why do you think bars serve free popcorn and free peanuts? Because if you eat these, you're probably putting your hand in a bowl that's been put, you know, we, we don't do that anymore with COVID, do we? A blessing of COVID. No more nasty peanut bowls at a bar, right? Some of you are going, how do you know about those? I'm like, how do you know about those? <laughs> but they do that so that you'll buy another drink. If only we lived our lives with the purpose of making others thirsty. When people see you, do they want to be like you? Do they want what you have? Or are you the last thing people would want to be like? Our lives should draw people in and create a thirst within them, a thirst to know more and experience more of Christ. They should want to have what we have, and I think it's something we have to think about and, and be cognizant about all the time. Am I living my life in such a way that it causes spiritual thirst in others? We should persevere in living this way, making people thirsty for what we have. And church, we, we need to persevere in remaining salty. And I'm, I'm just going to go over what I just already went over real quickly. If you're spiritually salty, you will bring flavor to others, and you'll enhance their lives. When you remain spiritually salty, you will be a preserver of biblical morality and truth. When you remain salty, spiritually salty, you will be used of God to draw out the infection uh, of sin so that, that healing can take place in others. When you remain spiritually salty, you will make others thirsty. I want to share something else that 
Henry Mondrell wrote in regards to his salt discoveries within the region where most biblical history took place. He said this, along on one side of the Valley of Salt toward Gabul, there's a small precipice about two men's lengths. He's talking about what he experienced when he was there. Occasioned by the continual taking away of the salt, and in this you may see how the veins of it lie. I broke a piece of it, which that part that was exposed to the rain, sun, and air, though it had the sparks and, and particles of salt, it looked like salt, it shimmered, right, in, in the sunlight, but because it was exposed to the rain and sun and air, yet it had perfectly lost its savor. The inner part, which was connected to the rock, retained its savor, savor as I found by proof. Now, this is a guy who was writing in, in late 1600s. Um, they, they talked a little differently. I, I, I probably didn't even recite that as very well or quote that very well, but you get the gist. The salt he found, he broke off, was sticking out, and the part that was exposed to the elements had lost its savor, but the part that was down deep and still attached to the rock, it, it retained its savor. It was still salty. I mean, doesn't that say it all? I saw this, and I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, wow, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. The salt that was exposed to the elements eventually became chemically changed, and it caused, it, it ceased to retain its saltiness, but the salt that, that was still connected to the rock retained its flavor. We re, when we remain connected to the rock of Jesus Christ, we will preserve our saltiness. We will persevere in our saltiness. We will remain salty, but we have to stay connected to the rock of Jesus Christ. Is it possible that the church has become uh, a place where, where or, or come to a place, if you will, where, where it's no longer salty and it doesn't even know it? I think of a, a Samson. One day he woke up and he didn't even know the Holy Spirit had left him. Is the church today like that? Have, have we woke up this morning and we don't even realize we're not salty anymore? So wrapped up in how much good we've done with our programs and our benevolent accomplishments, yet our saltiness is gone. The verses we looked at earlier where Jesus talked about salt includes his opinions of salt that's lost its flavor. This is Jesus' opinion of savorless salt. Matthew 5.13b, the second part. It, it, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says in Luke 14.35a, it is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. Trampled under people's feet. It's not good for anything except to be trampled. I thought about this. God, what are you saying here? And, and as I did some research on this, these followers of Jesus, they knew exactly what he was saying. This savorless salt had to be disposed of properly, carefully even. Because even though it had lost its saltiness, it caused havoc if it wasn't disposed of right. It was carefully swept up and thrown out into the street where it could be trampled. There, it, it, it was okay. It was, it was good for that. 
but they didn't want it in their house, yard, or garden, or even their fields. They couldn't put it there. This bad salt actually destroyed the fertility of the soil wherever it was thrown. And this is the reason why it was cast into the street. Did you hear that? Salt that isn't salty is worthless. It actually destroys fertile ground. And I couldn't help but think of that there are individuals within the church, possibly new Christians, who have this, this amazing fertile soil within their heart, so fertile and ready to plant seed in that it's almost an automatic thing for them to grow and flourish and, and take in God's word and bear fruit. But then there are those in the church, maybe they've been around a while, and for whatever reason, they aren't too salty anymore. And just their lack of saltiness can defertilize the soil of another once fertile soil. I don't want to be that guy who's not salty and I don't even know it. And as I'm operating in the church and doing my thing with, with people, working side by side in the kingdom of God, that, that, that I'm actually defertilizing their soil. I'm wrecking their soil. That's why Jesus said that type of soil isn't even good for the manure pile. We, we read that and we think, oh, that just means trash. No, manure piles where I come from are valuable. They better be because I spent a lot of time hauling it out in the middle of the field. But if you throw bad salt on that fertile pile of manure, which a farmer loves to refertilize the soil, you throw that bad salt on that manure pile, it will ruin its fertilizing ability. Come on, church. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you've lost your saltiness, get out of the way. Oh, that's harsh. Because Jesus is coming back. There's a lot of work to do. And if you don't, uh, let me just say it this way. You don't need to be hanging around making that work twice as hard or even making it impossible. Just get out of the way. If you've lost your saltiness, it only takes one decision to get it back. So instead of just getting out of the way, why don't you just get it back? We would love that because we love you. And you're worth something. God created you with a purpose and a plan, but it wasn't to be, you know, unsavory. Get right with God. Fall in love with him all over again. Start walking in holiness and living according to his word. As the end of this age draws near, the more useless and the more in the way Christians who have lost their saltiness will become. Christians that have lost their saltiness are cast out to be trampled. Matthew 5.13 reminds me of another scripture Revelations 3.16, the lukewarm are speared out, spewed out of the mouth of God. Reminds me of another scripture in Matthew 7.21. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those that do the will of the Father. And I could go on and on and on with these kinds of verses. But here's the deal. God's not mad at you. He just longs for us to be in right relationship with him. He's done his part He's waiting for us to do ours. And church time is running out because Jesus is coming back. 
get attached to the rock of Jesus Christ relationship-wise. Stay attached. Stay salty. Don't let the elements of this world, the distractions and the things that, we, that have the potential to change your, your spiritual makeup, the chemistry, the spiritual chemistry within you, don't let those distractions change you into a, a, a savorless pile of useless salt. Persevere in your saltiness. Let's pray. Father God, I, I, I want every person in this place to know that you love them with an everlasting love. That is not your desire for anyone to be cast out and trampled. It's not your desire to spit anybody out of your mouth. You want all men to be saved. That is your will. But God, you love us so much that you've given us a choice. What glory would be in it for you if you made man serve you? But Lord, we have a choice. And when we choose you, it does bring you glory. And God, today... We say to you as a people, a people that loves you, that we are going to attach ourselves to the rock of Jesus Christ and we are going to stay salty. We are going to season and flavor those around us. We're going to enhance their lives. We are going to preserve biblical truth no matter what. We're going to be like a healing ointment, if you will. We're going to be salty enough to be a healing force in people's lives as we come in contact with them. And Lord, we're going to make people thirsty. God, we commit that to you today. Church, I believe the great apostasy will happen and maybe even happening very soon where many who love Jesus will walk away from the faith that's not us because we're going to attach to the rock and we're going to stay salty until he comes back for his bride and takes us home where we can be together forever with no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, no more pandemic, no more wars, no more politics, no more lies, no more hate, no more fear. We're gonna be in a place with a new body that doesn't age. You're all gonna look better than you've ever looked before. I'll be able to eat and not gain any weight. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Father, we commit to you today that we'll remain salty. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.